0: eggs, milk, cheese, and baked goods. And, of course, cooking basics and tools of the trade for everyone at home, home goods of Margaretville. Open every day, 845-586-4177 or hgom.net. FNVC Construction and Cleaning in Margaretville. For commercial and residential construction, cleaning, repairs, and maintenance services for houses, apartments, offices, universities, restaurants. Warehouses and supermarkets. FNBC Construction and Cleaning. nine one seven six eight six zero two eight three nine one seven six eight six zero two eight three 686 0283. 917 686 Or FNBCCorp.com. The Catskill Revitalization Corporation, home of the Catskill Scenic Trail, along the old railbed from Roxbury to Bloomville, with its wide path gentle grade and durable surface, the Catskill Scenic Trail is designed for year-round outdoor recreation, hiking, biking, running, horseback riding, and during snow season, snowshoeing and cross-country skiing. Details at CatskillScenicTrail.org. This is Dan O'Connell, host of Monday Morning Music on WIOX Roxbury. As a WIOX spokesperson, I also manage underwriting for the station, and I'm here to let you know that underwriting on WIOX is a great way to support the station and inform the community about your business or service. If you'd like to become an underwriter, contact me for details at 607-326-3900 or WIOX at WIOXradio.org.
1: Okay, you are listening to WIOX Community Radio Live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones. This is From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Zane, how's it going?
2: Good. Good. my hunting season's over was over january 1st my first ever hunting season hey yeah and i was not successful but i don't feel bad no because i learned a lot that's that's what matters um right yeah absolutely
1: my hunting season uh what part it's always hunting season in some way i'm not that i'm pursuing animals uh right now right now i'm in the payback stage (laughs) <laughs> meaning I'm paying back all the landowners who I hunted on their properties ah. and giving them some steaks and and or maple syrup cuz some of their spouses don't want the venison and uh they say hey you know what about maple syrup said no problem
2: nice who can you say no to
1: that yeah so I got two more to to visit and uh and to um which is fun you know it gives me a an excuse to drive somewhere and yeah. talk to people the, the one landowner i haven't even seen in, in maybe a year or two so and i've been, and i always hunt on their property but i don't really need to go through their ho- their house area to get to it so <laughs> which is good because you know i don't want to bother people you right. know so that's nice
2: but um that's yeah, good to show appreciation
1: yeah absolutely but other than that just um i don't know just e- eating venison here as far as the uh forest goes what well, we're, we're doing apple tree burning now every day until the first week of april
2: you yeah. know yeah yeah um had some fairly good weather before the snow and then we got the rain but um no i've been up in the tree already a couple times it's nice so it's starting that training
1: yeah it gets us out and about all over the catskills uh, we we're down in Kerhonkson and yesterday and today pine hill and margarville and tomorrow be in Andes. Mm-hmm. so we'll get all around i, I you know I, I like it gets you in
2: decent shape and uh yeah talking with members as well it's great to interact with them and
1: yeah yeah this time last year i was already tapped for maple sugaring season but um this year even though it's mild today it's in the 40s it was and it's gonna dip finally and uh looks like for the remainder of January we're gonna be well below or below 30 at least mmm during the day or somewhere around there and, and into the teens at night, so looks like we're getting some winter a little bit. Nice. All right. Yeah, which can be better for climbing around apple trees, as long as it's not wet. You know, wet's kinda of miserable. Yeah. But but anyway, tonight's topic is the early black bear hunting post kill with Nate Loda. We had Nate on back in the last Wednesday of November and we talked to him about his his first hunting experience um in the catskills he's he comes from homer up in central new york and he killed a black bear and we got up to that point but we didn't get into the after kill um uh, nate are you there
3: i'm here how's it going ryan Zane?
1: <laughs> oh we're fine how's uh how's it going over there and it's homer right
3: yep well it's uh probably not much different than there yeah you know it's raining and snowing all day uh it got a little warmer i was thinking about you we, you know, I live on a farm. It's called Maple Slope, and uh, we got a sugar bush. Usually, you know, we tap, I don't know, 200 trees or so. Got a, you know, wood-fired evaporator. No reverse osmosis. No think production. But I was thinking, you know, today, it, you got to imagine that staff would be kind of moving. Got, you know, over you know, 45 last night, so.
1: I think it was because there was some, uh, you know, where they make pruning cuts on some maple trees on the side of the road they they were spitting out some sap oh
3: yeah but it looks like it's going to get back to winter here before too long so
1: yeah which you know for me this year is fine last year i tapped the first of january and i swear i went right from hunting season and and then you know dealing with uh santa claus there and new years of the family and it was just like here's maple sugaring season so it's nice to get a little winter in you know mm. around the wood stove to just chill out before uh the maple sugaring thing starts so Yeah, but yeah, I don't have RO either. I don't know, maybe someday, but I don't know. I'm too much of a simpleton for that. I think Hmm. maybe someday.
3: Yeah, well, I think you know, there's sugar. We got sugar shack, and uh, most of it's just the romance. You know, my cousins have been doing it their whole lives, and just have to, you know, carry on the torch, carry on the tradition. And uh, yeah, it's you know, it's a lot of work though. When you know, when you're hauling up collecting we don't really have buckets we run lines
1: but um you know it's still it's still a lot of work to it is working an the evaporator and boiling and boiling and boiling <laughs> there's always something to move right wood wood in oh, yeah something out ashes out yep i know it no well, you know it's, at least it smells good and the kids get to watch it but um so you want to just say a little bit about yourself before we get back into it for people who maybe didn't catch the uh you know, the first half of this back in November?
3: Well, they should just go on the uh, Spotify and re-listen to it.
1: Yeah, maybe they should <laughs> just do that.
3: Um, uh, you get me to start talking about myself, I might just spend an hour talking about myself.
1: <laughs> so basically, right, y- y- you uh, never been black bear hunting se- uh, before. This is the early black bear hunting season, which is September it's it's an early rifle, right? And in, in southeastern New York, is it throughout the rest of the state? I don't think it is, but maybe it is. Is it, Nate?
3: Uh, it's. I mean, yeah, it's the whole state. Oh, uh, right. I believe, but uh, you know, there's only certain areas that have black bears. I know the Adirondacks is different. No, no, I take that back. No, I take that back. It, it is. It is specific to the Catskills because yeah. I know my my buddy lives just on the. Um, the county just north of the border, and you couldn't hunt bears in that in that zone, that region. So, no, the Catskills and the Adirondacks, they both have uh, an early season. But um, you know, all my research led to that was in, in terms of like doing somewhat of a spot in stock, or just trying to locate a black bear, uh, rather than you know most black bears harvested during the regular season. They're deer hunters; they're sitting there and. You know, black bear at that time of the year, they're not they're not in that hyperphagia stage where they're really moving. And uh, that was the September. The benefit of September is that black bears are in the what they call hyper hyperphagia, I believe, and uh, they're they're moving heavily because they're eating. Just they're just they need to put on fat. I mean, they eat all year round, but that time of the year, they're they're really moving a lot, and so your chances of just seeing one are a lot higher. Yeah. And uh, so that, you know, all that kind of led me to, like, I wanted to have an adventure, you know? I mean, that's that's what I, I kind of set out to do. And uh, I thought, oh, it'd be so fun. I can camp and, you know, hike around and get, get exercise and just be outside. And, you know, sometimes it's not bad to be away from three three little girls. <laughs> I have three little girls that, you know, a lot of noise and action. So, anyways, I, I set out there in September, uh, I, I think it was, September 16th. Does that sound right?
1: Uh, yeah, it does.
3: It, yeah. it was not the opening weekend because I wanted, you know, a three-day window. So I went down on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then ultimately, Sunday morning, kind of put all the pieces together and had an opportunity to saw a bear and threw this rifle up and shot the bear. And then, um, you know, all the fun kind of started at that point.
1: Yeah, so let's get into that. So the bear's down... Um, first of all, when you shot it, did you, did you have to track it much, or you just saw it go down?
3: No. no. I mean, September is a lot of you know, leaves on the trees still, but I found an area that had about a, uh, about 70 yards bandage, you know, and uh, this bear crossed from right to left, and it passed the second window. And when it got in that window, I, I took the shot because it, it would have entered a spot where it could have either gone, continued straight, but it would have had to kind of traverse this big blowdown, or it would have just gone, turned right and went straight away and I never saw it again, so I took the shot, and uh, I saw it, it it did run, and uh, and I stood up and kind of jumped down to get around some rocks, but almost right away, I heard it started doing the death moans, which black bears are known to do, and so I knew it was there, and I mean, it, yeah, it didn't go 20 yards, it was a good shot, it went to the top of its heart so
1: hmm.
3: well, there's a lot of tracking involved
1: yeah that's good that's a good thing um all right so you walk up to it and did, now did you field dress it there or did you um or did you skin it on the ground how'd that go
3: yeah well you know in, in my research part of my kind of intrigue into black bears is like you can read the the gamut of of reviews about black bear meat i mean you'll you'll read dire maledictions against black bear meat as being you know unedible and just totally unfit for human consumption and then you'll hear hear people say that it's one of the best game meats there is you know or the absolute best i mean i think you can read a lot about um the long hunters and early frontiers, men that they would shoot deer for the buckskin and they'd shoot bear for the meat. I mean, because the bear meat was just so much better. I mean, it's, uh, in terms of texture, it's probably closer to beef or pork. Uh, but um, one of the, the biggest things I read, again, was like you got to really take care of the meat. And uh, especially in September, you got, you know, warmer temperatures. So I was like really cognizant of, getting that bear field dressed and skinned as fast as possible. I mean, I, I think regardless of a uh, bear, deer, or any game, you know, getting the, getting the guts out is going to do astronomical. It's going to make a huge difference in just limiting the spread of bacteria, and that's going to, you yeah. know, inform the flavor of your meat. So I, uh, I had brought along a block and tackle with the idea of hanging it, because I had also read uh, and I talked to a, a houndsman in Virginia, bear hunter that, you know, dealt with a lot of early season bears. And he commented that, you know, you can skin them on the ground and roll them. And I think uh, John, that's what he said he did. yeah But um, this guy, his advice was to bring some kind of tackle or some kind of pulley system, because just getting them off the ground, getting them off the leaves. You know, I mean, one way or another, leaves or dirt and debris just tended to find its way to stick on the meat, you know. <laughs> and uh, so he recommended try to bring something to get it hung. And so that's what I did. And uh, I did, like, kind of cape out the feet on the ground and, like, made my first cuts there on the ground when I had it on his back. And then uh, I, I just, like, hung, or uh, let's see, I, I used some string and, like, tied around its legs. And then uh, used a, a branch, I guess, to spread it as a kind of spreader for its hind legs, and then, you know, hoisted it up and skinned it. And uh, I brought game bags along that I got, you know, a couple of days before off Amazon. Uh, again, just thinking of it as kind of like a Western hunt, a Western adventure. And I had a pack, so I, had debon- I pretty much deboned the whole bear there when I had to hang it. Hanging. And I was amazed that. Just getting the hide off and having it hang. I mean, the temperatures are probably they're probably low sixties, some maybe mm. even upper fifties uh, at that time of the day. But I couldn't believe how how fast that bear meat cooled. You know, just just having it hang in there in open air. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I deboned it there, and the only bones I kept were in the front shoulder roof. I kept it, you know, that has that scapula, um, just because it's kind of awkward deep bony but um and then obviously the the skull i i kept the skull so i could collect the uh tooth and give it to the biologist and then uh make a you know a kind of european mount but uh no yeah i skinned it all out and put it in game bags and kind of had it hung there for a minute or for a little while and then uh put it in the pack and and started the trip off and or down the mountain and i wasn't that far but um as you know that that mountain's yeah, it's fairly rugged and I, it wasn't even it was about two miles just under two miles I think like 1.9 miles from where, where I shot it but uh it, it was a lot of work I mean that I could not believe how heavy the pack felt uh, maybe it was lack of you know inexperience or what but it, it probably not the greatest you know pack but yeah it took a lot of work to get down that mountain.
1: Now, yeah, what kind of pack did you have? Is it um, the frame pack?
3: Yeah, it has a, a friend gave it to me again, like the week before. It has a you know internal uh, aluminum frame. It's like an old LL Bean pack, just yeah. a hiking pack. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know ground skinning. I know John, if you were here, uh, he would talk about that. But um, yeah, I, I would, I would, I would opt for hanging it. I'd use mm-hmm. a, maybe a poor man's come along. Which is, yeah, um, I, yeah? is that what you used, or you used block and tackle? You actually use you had block and tackle with you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I had just, like, a little, or, you know, two little ones that come with your, like, gamble for um, hanging a deer. I yeah. mean, they were, again, it wasn't that heavy. But, you know, when I was, like, playing this pack, I, I had heard a guy that talked about, you know, planning Western adventures, you know, specifically elk hunting when you're doing day hikes and day hunts and, or overnight hunts. And he just said, like, when you, when it comes time to pack your pack, it's real easy to bring a lot of stuff because you think, oh, I got this huge pack and put everything in there. But when you start hiking and carrying it on your back, he's like, you know, ounces make pounds and pounds make pain. And the whole time I was, I was on that mountain, that's all I was going through my head was just thinking... I mean, ounces make pounds, pounds make pain, and I couldn't believe, you know, just water. Carrying, water. I mean, I carried a water bladder and a water bottle, but I got a three liter or uh, two and a half liter water bladder. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it's just yeah, just carrying that constant weight, you know, it's it's a lot.
1: It, it is. Well, water is really heavy, right? So like eight pounds yeah. a gallon. I know. I only bring when you. You know, I saw you when I was up there. um, two courts and really i could get away with just a court the only reason why i bring two now is because my first campsite is up on a mountain and there's no spring but the nice thing about the catskills is there's usually water so much water around i'll just refill it with a um, filter but um, yeah i don't know so now how are those game bags used did you like them
3: yeah i mean these were just uh you know, cotton game bags, and I, I think I had like six of them. I could have gotten away with probably two, but yeah, I uh, I separated the meat. You know, I kept like the hind legs and one, the front legs and another, and then like uh, back straps and trimmings and and another another bag. But um, yeah, you know, I, I never used game bags. I did carry carry them with me and my pack a couple times when I was deer hunting, thinking just to like get the experience of uh, I wanted to you know dress and, and process the deer on the ground just again just to kind of try that method of yeah. getting one on the ground and packing it out but it never um it never worked out that way so hmm.
1: yeah i saw a guy doing that on the way in on my way in. I, I think i said this in the last show he was ground skinning but uh i don't know it just it seems like you gotta be very careful
2: but i'm sure yeah. it could be done did you bring back any of the hide or uh, a paw or anything?
3: Yeah, no, I, uh, I caped or, you know, skinned out the hide and, um, and I, I mean, I, you know, am not a taxidermist, but, uh, I caped it out. I caped out all the, the, the paws with the, with the claws, like intact to the hide and the, you know, obviously the ears and the nose and this whole face and I ended up uh, tanning the hive myself, and I did. You know, I got the the right here. It's, it's pretty nice. I used like a pretty simple um, alum solution that I got from this, you know, like better uh, this Reader's Digest book that came out in the seventies called "Back to the Basics." Fantastic book <laughs> if you can find it. I mean, it's got like it's got an illustrated, it's got illustrations for every life skill you could possibly imagine to be self-sufficient. But uh, it's got a couple pages in there about tanning hides, and and I've used it with pretty good success. But the only thing I did kind of mess up with the ears. I, um, you know, I've only really tanned a couple other things, and like some raccoons, and I never really flipped or messed with the ears, and then split them or flip them. And so the bear, I, I didn't, I didn't flip the ears. So when I took it out of tan the tanning solution, and I ended up flipping the ears at that point, but. You know, the, the hair was slipping from the ends of the ears. But other than that, it, it came out really well. But as Ryan, Ryan does some tanning, I, I've heard him, it's a lot of work, you know. Yeah. Tan the yeah. hide.
1: I tanned a bear hide, I, a small bear I got um, during the muzzleloading season, I don't know, five or more years ago. But I I didn't keep the head or anything. But um, But that was yeah. using vegetable tan or hemlock bark. And so there's going to have a slight brown. You really can't see it on a bear, to be honest with you. That that it was that there's any brown tinge in it, but it it came out well. I was surprised because the hair stays in uh, deer. It does not. Deer, unfortunately, is hollow when you shoot them in the fall, so they tend to be brittle and they break. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. You know, with the with the um the the bear meat when you're talking about that, it's interesting you're talking about like uh you know the old timers or settlers or whoever saying how great bear meat was and then some don't like it it's to this day it's still it seems like it's still like that people are very polarized on their perspective oh, yeah. yeah
3: absolutely i mean and that's what i've gathered from just people i've talked to some people say yeah it's completely unfit well in this uh other great book uh, i have this L.O. bean game and fish cookbook i don't know if you ever seen that one but it, you know, the introduction on, on bear, he talks about that, you know, people have these maledictions of level against bear meat. And he basically says that when he hears people say that, it means one of two things. It means, one, the bear was either an ancient, you know, scrawny bear, or two, the, the person, the bear meat would have been delicious had the person butchered it and handled it like game meat uh, and, and valued its, its meat more than the glossy pill. And uh, you know I've, you see it so often you see pictures of guys shooting bears and they're putting gripping grim at, at nighttime. and then the next day they got more pictures and the bears still hanging there mm. with his the skin on, you know and yeah everything you read is that man if, if you don't get that hide off, even when the temperatures are cold, I mean, I mean I've, you know I shot some deer and it was below freezing here. And uh, by the time you skin it, you know even an hour, two hours later, you pull that hide off, and that, that meat will still be warm. I mean, it'll be steam coming off it. And you just think yeah. on a black bear with the, the all that fur, and then especially in the, in the fall or late, early winter when it's got a lot of fat on it, you know, it's going to insulate a lot of that, that meat and cause spoilage. But it's also just a different kind of meat than than venison. You know, it doesn't age well. Like, like you can't, you don't want to hang it for you know, six days when it's above 40 degrees like you would deer. deer.
1: Hmm. it makes sense. <sighs> yeah. And the, the fat's completely different, right? I mean, at room temperature, oh, yeah. it's different.
3: Yeah, I mean, that was one of the biggest kind of uh, disappointments I had, you know, was that the bear just had so little fat. And, I mean, mm-hmm. I kind of just contributed to, one, uh, the age, it being just a young bear, and then, two, just the time of the year. Yeah, it just didn't have hadn't stored up all the fat that it would have. Let's say if you if you were hunting in in late fall.
1: A male or a female? It was a male. Yeah. yeah.
3: And it probably just got kicked out of its family and was running lost in the woods.
2: <laughs> how <laughs> how much uh, did it weigh? You think?
3: Uh, I mean, it had to have been under a hundred pounds. Uh, I mean, right, probably right around there. You know.
1: Yeah, I got a small – that bear that I got was very small. It was a small female, and um, she had fat on her, though, but it was in the late – it's very weird to get shoot at bear muzzleloading season. But uh, we got a gallon of fat off of her. Wow. It came wow. out to yeah. about an even gallon. And I think uh, that is, to me, one of the best parts of, of – the meat's great. I, I think the meat is awesome. It is undervalued. But the, uh, the, the fat is like um, – Man, it doesn't overpower food, you know, which is nice.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be fantastic for, you know, cooking oil and, and then for, you know, yeah. other applications, whether it's leather dressing or making soap. I, I kind of got into um, a soap making hobby here a couple of years ago. You know, I'd always been curious about it. And when you, especially, I don't know, up here, we got pretty big deer, so you shoot one in December. I mean, especially a big doe. I mean, it's nothing to get a couple pounds of fat off of it. And yeah. so uh, I, you know, I trim all the fat and then render it down, and I start making soap. But I heard that bear, bear fat is bear is really good for soap as well.
1: Um, I wouldn't but, see why not. I've never used that. Yeah, I use the deer. How do you how do you do your your deer fat soap?
3: Uh, well, I mean, I, it's pretty much the same way, I guess, make soap in general. But it's like a hot process, so yeah. render, I just put all the fat into a crock pot and just let it cook on low for, you know, all the all day or so, and then uh, strain it off.
1: Yeah, and I, then man, uh, it takes like all little, day. You do it how all day with? Would you think a couple pounds of fat?
3: Yeah, I mean, the last one was about six and a half pounds. Yeah. Okay. Of, yeah, and um, Do you, yeah, and then I just I I got to the point where I'm adding a lot more. So you know, like using some castor oil, olive oil, coconut oil. I used a little bit of sunflower oil. I don't want to you know, give away all my secrets here now. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, and then add fragrance, and then you got to use the sodium hydroxide and. When you get it all melted, you, you you mix that in with the water, and uh, that makes your soapification process. Yeah, and I just use a, a stick blender, and you blend it all together, and then I, I use again the hot process. So you kind of cook it in the in the in a crock pot for about an hour on low.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. I use a stick blender, but um, I just I cut the fat up into kind of smallest cubes and. I find the potato masher is one of the best mm. tools for making for rendering the fat because it press it makes it a lot quicker. And yeah. as soon as it's chitlins, chitlins and the fat, yeah, it's pretty much done. I mean, it's not nothing else is going to happen. I feel.
3: Yeah, I, I have in the past. I've I had a whole like one time. I I don't know. I had a whole bunch of fat and I ran it all through my grinder, a meat grinder. And I'd read that that's a really good way. You know, it just helps the rendering process go much faster. Yeah, but man. you know, then you're dealing with cleaning a grinder. And,
1: uh, oh, it's a pain to clean. God.
3: Yeah, yeah. but I, uh, I I ended up grinding a lot of that bear, and uh, I mean I cut steaks out of the rear, uh, the rear quarters, and then I you know the back straps and the and the tenderloins, and then uh, I cut the shoulder roast. but then like the shanks, and then the rest of the rump. I ground it, and, um, and, you know, it just phenomenal burger. I just couldn't, I could not believe it. I think I mentioned it last time that when I cut the steaks, I mean, I'm looking at these steaks, and I'm just, you know, especially out of the, the roast, out of the, out of the rear, you know, the hams, I'm looking at it like a deer steak, and he's got like four, about four different muscle groups that come together, and they got connective tissue in between it. And I had these things in the cast iron skillet, and I'm just looking at them, thinking, "This is going to be absolutely inedible." I was like, "This is going to be shoe leather, and all that connective tissue is just going to be terrible." Because, like on a deer steak, when you got all that tendon in between those separate muscle groups, I mean, it's just incredibly chewy, you know? Yeah. But uh, I, 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 when we ate that first steak, I just could not believe it because it all just like melted. I mean, it just absolutely just melted away. There was no chewiness, and uh, you know, the rec- the recommendation to cook bear meat is a uh, hundred sixty five, just because it it's uh, it carries trichinosis, and um, you know, I think uh, I think I heard something that bear meat is is one of the, the number one uh, leading, I guess, or most cases of trichinella or trichinosis comes from bear meat.
1: Yeah, I mean, Alaska.
3: The USDA, they, yeah, well, they pretty much eradicated from swine. I mean, you know, feedlot pork is, I think they lowered the, the internal cooking temperature because they pretty much got rid, rid of it. But, um, yeah, anyways, I, I've heard uh, some statistic that, you know, it's extremely high and, or prevalent in bear meat. So I cooked to 165, but, I'm again, I'm going to look at that bear steak and think, this is going to be inedible. But, I mean, I was just blown away with how tender it was and how how much flavor was in it. And all that tissue just kind of melted away. And uh, this the texture in general, it's like much closer, than open-grain meat, much closer to pork or beef. Hmm.
1: Um, That's interesting because maybe that's the mistake I made. Because I was frustrated with how much fat to get rid of all the sinew and connective tissue when I did the bear. It seemed like there was a lot more. And it was always it's more intermingled than a deer. A deer, it's like on the outside or it's, you know, it's right on sure, door. Yeah. So I was frustrated by that, but man, um, I wish I had known that it's easier to deal with once you're eating it.
2: How'd the well, kids like was, it?
3: Oh, they, oh, they love, I mean, they, you know, they were so excited to eat it. And then like, I can't, I cut it up and give it to them. Then they eat a little piece and they're like, eh. <laughs> but then every time I cook it, they're like, oh, yeah yeah, bear me, bear me. But, my youngest, she's two and a half, and um, actually, just like last week, we cooked the lawn, and I, I'm not kidding you, she ate at least half of the lawn. She probably ate more than all of us put together. I mean, she was just kept wanting, wanting, wanting more, 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 but um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, so other than that, I, I did burger, and the, and, the, and the, I just couldn't believe the burger, how good it was, and, and I don't come from a hunter, hunting family, none of my family hunts, but like over Christmas, I brought some down to my parents, and cooked it up like kind of, you know, you make tacos or whatever and uh, we just all sat around eating it right out of the skill of it, you know, nachos and uh, yeah, I mean, they were, everyone couldn't, re- couldn't believe how good it was.
1: <laughs> well, we got some more questions for Nate. Uh, we're going to take a break but if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is early black bear hunting post kill with Nate Loda. You're just tuning in. You're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, six to seven p.m. Talking about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's topic is early bla- black bear hunting post-kill with Nate Loda. And uh, yeah, Nate, I um, someone gave me that book, Reading uh, Back to Basics, when I left uh, my job at Frost Valley back in 07. It's a great book. Oh yeah, I mean, I, it's just unbelievable how it has
3: just about. Anything you could ever imagine to like be self-sustaining all encapsulated in one book you know from cover to cover and everything from preserving food to building houses to you know tanning leather and making a coonskin I used it to make a coonskin cap you know um the directions in there but yeah fantastic book
1: yeah it's like one book I've had for like the last 15 years that I'll continue to go downstairs and check out once in a while you know but, yeah. Yeah.
3: And, and, you know, another, uh, I did want to mention that, you know, one of my kind of interest in, uh, again, in the black bear hunt, it was like the aspect of the food, just because you hear it like, you hear people say so often how it's unfit for consumption or that it's delicious. But, uh, you know, the other thing that's really interesting to me, too, is, you know, black bear, more so than I think any other game animal, is just, it teeters on um you know people's kind of feelings and pulling on people's heartstrings about you know hunting black bears i think it's yeah you know, i guess because it's one it's full of a lot more mystique than white-tailed deer i mean at this point most people are so sick of seeing a white-tailed deer eat their hostas and seeing them in suburban areas that black bears you know they're much more elusive animals but uh There's a book, a fantastic book um, by Paul Friedman called Ten Restaurants That Changed America. And in the book, he kind of really breaks down this relationship of food with culture. I mean, what we call gastronomy. And uh, I think that the history of black bear in gastronomy and even broadly speaking, just in game meat is so interesting because traditionally in the U.S., I mean, a lot of food was, you know, very localized. So people were eating food that was specific to their region. And I think a lot of, it might go over people's heads that in the U.S., you know, game consumption is kind of elevated to basically hunters and, and rural culture. But like over in Europe, you know, game meat is, is served, you know, in restaurants because they've got a marketplace. So when I was on this black bear hunt, my parents were actually in uh, Croatia, and Croatia has in their mountainous region they've got like a, um, a restaurant culture that serves bear. And you know, and, and they actually talked about in like the tourist books that wow. if you have the time and the resources, you should go to this the mountain re- regions of Croatia and eat bear in the restaurants because. It's, a, it's kind of a cultural delicacy. So, of course, when I shot this bear, I texted my parents and said, don't worry about eating the bear in Croatia. I got one over here. <laughs> but, uh,
1: That's awesome. Croatia, I had no idea.
3: Yeah, and I, as far as I can figure, it must be brown bear, you know, or grizzlies, because I, I don't think Europe, uh, other than in, in parts of Asia, I think they have a, a black bear. Good but, question. Uh, I the don't
1: other,
3: know. Yeah, all the other bears in Europe, they're brown bear. But, uh, anyways, it's just it's really, you know, I'm really interested in gastronomy and that relationship between food and culture. And, the, you know, we're kind of spoiled in the U.S. to have, you know, free or to have the opportunity to kind of participate in, with the natural world and the aspect of, you know, use, utilizing the resources because it's held, you know, wildlife is held in the public trust and we've got this great. Stewardship of the, of the U.S. government, state, both state and federally, to protect those resources and you know, create seasons and stuff, and regulate the harvest. But uh, when it comes to gastronomy and cooking, you know, there, I mean, there's like so much robust flavors and in, in the diversity of, of game meat. And uh, if you don't know a hunter in the U.S., you know, your options of eating meat are pretty much regulated to domestic, you know, foods and. It's not uncommon to meet people that have eaten just beef, chicken, and pork their entire lives. PCBs, I mean,
1: man. <laughs> yeah. That's it, pork, <laughs> chicken, beef.
3: Well, and, you know, we don't eat I mean, we, we'll eat domestic meat and, you know, game or domestic meat a couple times a year. But uh, when if we eat, when I eat chicken, I really I notice it. I'm like, every time I eat chicken, I'm just like, wow. I, I understand why people why people just eat chicken all the time because it is really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know, it, it, it's like there is a lot of flavor and it's just hard to mess up. But even beef, I mean like we we'll eat beef, I mean rarely, but when you eat it having not eaten it like often you do notice like how much flavor it is. You know, my wife's from Argentina so she comes from like the country mm. of beef and so of course she loves beef. She's like, you know, cow is the best thing ever, but um <laughs> Yeah, anyways, it's just really interesting stuff. But I thought it was funny that my parents were in Croatia, and they're telling me about how, you know, bear meat was really a uh, high culture over there.
1: Now, you I have to have assume that them. a hunter there can sell the meat then.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, most, uh, you know, in most of Europe, there's, you know, markets for wild game.
1: Yeah, and that's... In fact, yeah, go
3: ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to say, in fact, in some places you're not even legally allowed to keep the game meat. And and I know you talked about it on one of your episodes about, uh, you know, if there was a market for, let's say, white-tailed deer, how it would change. And, uh, yeah, I guess it's a kind of a, a tricky subject to navigate. But it, it does make for, you know, a kind of more diverse um, culinary palate. You know, actually, I did a project for an author. I did a book cover for an author, and he was telling me that – um. I had told him I guess I was going to bear hunter or something about shot I had venison and he said oh I love venison and I said oh was well, the be hunter you know hunter oh no 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 I haven't had it here but when I was in Europe I ate venison in, in Germany I just thought it was the greatest thing ever and you know in a restaurant and uh, you know outside of in the US you can go to restaurants and you can get what they call venison but you know it's really just domestic or livestock raised uh Mm. deer usually red deer you know it's non-native deer
1: species right red stag or something we had a guy on i think from the university of wisconsin years ago called uh, i think his name is tom eberlin i think Mm. and he he really studied sweden i guess the laws are a little different between some of the countries in europe i don't know anything about europe so so sweden you know The biologists still set the, the limits for hunters, but a hunter, once they shoot them, whether it's a moose or whatever they have for deer, red stag, I don't know, they can turn around and sell it in the grocery store. And he said what that did was it connected people who don't hunt necessarily to, to the meat, to the wild world. I feel like in America we have no connection as a thing that you're saying – Nate, the, the, you know the gastronomy. We're missing that, and that's the that's like the divide.
2: It's interesting because we do have like, I think what you see now is like this locavore culture, yeah. whatever you want to call it. People want to forage for these wild plants, but that kind of stops at the plant kingdom. They don't want to, you know, it doesn't jump to the animal kingdom. Yeah,
3: well, and and I don't know if yeah. it's so much. They don't want to, as um, you know, but uh, the gateway to entry. You know, to harvest in a, a, a wild animal is, you know, it's not like a, an easy thing. I mean, right. there's just so many, like, hurdles that make it, I guess, uh, more challenging. Though you could, you could easily argue that in the 21st century, that's not so much the case just because we have the Internet. I mean, again, I didn't come from a hunting family, but I mean, I've learned. You, you can learn anything on YouTube, <laughs> you know. It's like uh, how to butcher a deer. Oh, you just, I watch a bunch of YouTube videos, you know, yes. how, to, uh, how to cape out of a bear. I watch a bunch of YouTube videos. <laughs> um but you know yeah it, it is it is interesting and uh, some of it's kind of interesting too that it, it, it's not as polarizing maybe as i think it was even 10 years ago you know just with like uh so much the i think you were talking about the local board movement and uh yeah people like just having more of an interest in their gastron in gastronomy or an interest in kind of where their food's coming from. Right. I mean that's what my wife was just telling our kids the other day. <laughs> I shot, I was, well, saying you're talking about hunting seasons being over, but you know squirrels are still in season, buddy. And, I mean there's nothing it gets I mean there, there's not a whole lot more things that that's more fun to hunt than squirrels and they can be they can be extremely challenging once once they know that you're after them. But uh you know, I had some squirrels and a rabbit, and my girls were like, oh, the bunny, it was a bunny. And you know, my wife explained to them how, you know, the connection that we have with our food is that we kind of go out and have to, you know, participate in its life. When you get it from the grocery store, you know, you look at a slab of beef, and it's just beef, right? And I always, I always talk about it, how even, even myself, when I shoot a deer, you know, when I have that hanging and you take that hide off, I mean, it is amazing the disconnect that happens. As soon as you remove the hide, it just no longer looks like a deer and all you see is meat. You know, as soon as you take the head and the hide off, it, at that point, it just becomes meat. And it's really hard to associate the living life that, that it was just moments before, you know. And I think that's just a lot of value that you can place on that uh, relationship of knowing where your food comes from and, uh, like, participating in it. And not to mention that it's like, well, when you think about wild animals, I mean, you know, to be killed by a high-powered rifle or a bow, uh, the death that they're going to encounter from a hunter is about the most humane experience that they're going to have, you know, other because the alternative is either dying by a car or getting torn p- torn apart by coyotes or dying from starvation or whatever. But
1: yeah, it's a tough uh, world yeah. out there,
3: especially it in the Catskills for a deer.
1: Signs. Jeez.
3: Yeah, well, I think I mentioned the last episode how on that side of the mountain there was just absolutely no deer signs. But I went across from the other mountain and I could not believe how much deer sign there was.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For me, the reason I got into deer hunting was. Uh, because yeah just to be closer to uh my food and the way i see it is that it's when you hunt for something and you harvest it it tells a whole story about it and that story is a part of like the experience when you when when you enjoy it for me yeah absolutely um nate
1: what's your favorite cuts on the bear or or whatnot how are you cooking these up? Uh, like, what's your your, your go to, or, or is it the or is it the Burger meat?
3: You know, I don't know. It's hard to say a favorite, just because like every piece of meat is kind of specific to however, however you're gonna <coughs> eat it. You know, it's kind of like, well, what's your favorite food? Well, I was like, ah, I don't know, I love a whole bunch of different foods, but um, yeah. you know, the thing about burgers, it's it's so versatile. You know, so you can make tacos, you can you can make. You know, just do so much with it, and it's it's really easy to cook quickly. Which, when you have three kids in the house, that sometimes is uh, paramount. You know, cook <laughs> dinner as fast as possible. But uh, the uh, tenderloins, the or the actually the backstrap, the the loin. I mean, they're fantastic just as like a steak meat. You know? Yeah. And but I, I really I could not believe how good just the steaks were, and I made I I don't think I marinated them. I might have uh, seasoned them a little. I seasoned them, and I, think, I might have marinated with something, but right. uh, just pan-fried in the skillet and, uh, you know, eating, like, steak. And, and, again, you know, venison, which is my, kind of my frame of reference because that's pretty much what we eat all the time, uh, you're just not going to eat, a, like, a steak of deer that's going to be compared to, like, a beef steak, you know, because it's not going to be as tender Unless it's from the back straps, the loins, you know? Right. Uh, and I, I couldn't believe how how similar that bear steak was to, let's say, a beef steak or even like a pork. Because it's not as dry as, as pork can get. Um, so, I yeah, I would probably go with that steak.
1: Man, I guess I'm going to have to shoot a bear again. You know, you're right about the bear. Um, It's kind of taboo to a lot of people still, even even hunters.
3: Oh, absolutely. Even Hunter- hunters. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, I, and I met several hunters that had shot a bear and said they'd never shoot another one again, hmm. and and not because the meat wasn't fantastic, but uh, you know, I think just well, for one, they they're they're awful human-like, and um, you know, several hunters like different bosses, when you skin them, I mean, there's this anatomically, they look a lot like a human would, you know. Uh, their muscle structure, bone structure, you look at their, their paws, I mean, they almost look like hands, you know, when you, when you skin, skin them out. So I mean, yeah, that can be kind of unnerving, but I, I think bears, they're just fascinating animals. You know, they're, I mean, they're incredibly interesting animals. They're incredibly beautiful and, uh, man, they're incredibly tasty as well.
1: Yeah. I agree. That the other, the only reason I guess why I have shied away from shooting a second bear is there's two main reasons. They're kind of the same. But one is like if it's a larger bear, I actually don't want to shoot it. The small bear you got, that's what I want. Um, a big bear, now I have to have – I got to call my friends. Who the hell knows if they're around, you know? Um, you gotta have friends first. I don't have any friends, so there, that's the problem. That's what happens when you have, you know, like lots of kids. So I don't have any friends, and and they're not old enough to do much of anything. So, so there's that. And then you know, if the weather is really warm, it makes me not want to sometimes. And the processing, but I should get over that and, and try it again. Um, the fat. Was really the meat was was the best. I I agree with you totally. My wife doesn't really eat venison; she doesn't like it. But Bam. she ate all the bear that we had, so that tells you a lot, right there. Because she probably like she's used to beef more, and, and that's what she wants, or or uh, you know, chicken and beef and all that, or pork. So, but and the fat she never. Never baked a pie ever again. She only baked one pie in her life. Right? Followed the <laughs> recipe, made her own crust and used bear fat, because my neighbor said bear yeah, fat makes fantastic. the flakiest crust. That's all the old timers said. That's what I've always heard you should try this. So I said, Okay, well Sarah will try it. Everyone when she brought it to Massachusetts to my in laws, and Massachusetts is the most they have the least amount of hunters per capita in the in the union. So they're all digging in, right, <laughs> eating hell out of this apple pie, and it is delicious. And, like, it's like there's, like, one-eighth left of it, and all of a sudden they're like, man, how'd you make that? And she's like, oh, I used the bear fat. And I was like, oh, you just hear a fork, like, just drop. <laughs> <laughs> and my brother-in-law is like, you used what? What, man? <laughs> he, he was like, oh, no, I can't eat anymore. But until up to that point, man. it was it was gone, man. It was perfect. And you know how it is with, with crust of a pie. That's the hard part to get, right? Yeah, that was, that's I, the best part. Yeah. So that that's... Well, I, yeah. I,
3: yeah, I know that experience. You know, like, uh, you know, my wife's merchantina, so I've, we've made empanadas. And, like, one time we mm. made empanadas with some woodchuck. And uh, I brought it over to my cousin's house, and she's. He's digging in on that stuff, and then we had to tell him that we're, you know, woodchucking woodchuck, and about not regurgitated it all. <laughs> Which, again, it's just, it's funny, you know, the kind of random prejudice that we have with, especially when it comes to food, you know, for no real reason. Yeah. Other than it's just, whatever, taboo. But, uh, you know, one thing about that bear that uh, I had heard, I don't know, years and years ago, I was listening to podcasts, Randy Newberg podcast and he was talking about hunting out west and um, what to do with game meat, you know, after after shot like an elk and how to get it cool. And it was a random little tidbit that kind of just stuck in the back of my mind. But he said that he would freeze two liter gallons like milk jugs. He'd fill them with water and freeze them and then just tote those around in a cooler. So I had in, in my car, I had two uh, coolers that I had filled full with <laughs> like frozen milk jugs. Um, and you know they stayed they stayed frozen until that third morning, and you know, I still had them frozen. So I used those milk jugs and then put the game bags in that cooler um, again just to get that meat chilled as fast as possible. Nice and then right had that. the hide on top as well. And uh, that you know that worked really well.
1: Wow, that's smart.
3: Yeah, that's pretty yeah, crafty. It was, again, it was. It was kinda of one of those random things that just kinda of stuck in my back of my mind because, you know, I was thinking, Well, how am I gonna keep this cool and and yeah, you know, you got a two liter uh, milk jug, it'll you know, if you freeze it solid beforehand, it you know, it'll stay frozen for and I I had some you know, I've pulled out this like old Coleman uh, cooler out of the barn. So this thing's probably from the 70s, you know. It's, if you had, like, a, you know, new new wave, like, Yeti or just any kind of Richter, whatever, any modern cooler, I'm, I'm sure it'd stay... The whole thing would stay frozen.
1: Hey, it works. I don't know. There's so a YouTube yeah. uh, on a guy comparing, like, the most expensive ones to, like, a Coleman. And mm-hmm. It didn't seem to justify the price to me, but...
2: I got a Coleman, it works. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, if you're using it right, you shouldn't be keeping it in there too long. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, at least you got
1: to fill the Coleman. I mean, how satisfying is that? You show up to a new place, you got a bear, and then you put some meat in it. That's pretty good.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, just like, you know, I think I mentioned last time. I was was completely convinced that I was not going to see a bear on the third morning. And I was only, you know, I'd only been up sitting there for just under an hour probably. But, uh, yeah, when I saw that bear, I just could not believe it. Like,
1: That's bear!
3: Was like, it's bear! <laughs> <laughs> That's what I came for! That's um, awesome. But, you know, the the biggest uh, reward was getting to getting to the base of that mountain and taking that pack off. I mean, man, you had know, that pack on, that heavy pack with that skull and stuff. I guess, you know, bones, bear bones in particular, they're just, they're extremely dense, so that adds to the weight. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, that was pretty rewarding, getting down to the bottom of that mountain with that pack.
1: <laughs> well, that's a great story, Nate, and uh, we appreciate you uh, sharing it, and uh, thanks for coming on tonight.
3: Hey, it was my pleasure.
1: All right, Nate. Hey, stay in touch, and uh, maybe I'll see you in the woods uh, this yeah. September, if not before. If you're ever back in the Catskills, let me know, please.
3: Hey, I'm going to be there um, July uh, July 5th. I'm teaching a workshop at uh, Sugar Maple Center for Creative Arts, part of the Catskills all Mountain.
1: right. Yeah. I can go over that's to Green totally. County and check it out.
3: Yeah, that's where it is. I'll yep. be there uh early July. July uh, I think July fifth through the ninth, so we'll we'll be in touch. But if right. anyone wants to learn about painting and sign up for my workshop.
1: All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank All you, right. you, Nate. Take Have care, a good bro. night. Yep. Bye. Bye bye. Alright, if you missed that show that was uh Nate Loda again, he was on back in uh last week in November. Talking about his uh, early black bear hunting season, and tonight we're talking about the post-kill. Makes me hungry. I, I know it. <laughs> All right. Have a good
2: night. Good night, everyone. The old man made his way. His ragged coat around him as upon his cart he lay. And he wondered how it happened that he ended up there. His grizzled fingers, and she called him by his name. And then he heard the
0: joyful sound of children at the games. Tell you IOX is supported by you and the following underwriters the Four County Library System and Bookmobile, the Library on Wheels that visits communities in Broome, Shenango, Delaware and Otsego counties with all kinds of books, fiction, nonfiction, children's, even large print audiobooks and DVDs. Requests for specific books, authors or topics, library cards and the bookmobile schedule at 4cls.org, the number 4cls.org or 607-723-8236. The Slighter Agency on Main Street in Margaretville, a neighborhood independent insurance agency, educating consumers about insurance decisions after a life-changing event, such as a marriage, divorce, death, a job-related change in benefits, and about coverage options. Open Monday through Friday, 830 to 5. More information at 845 586